All right, parents, you've been really brave and held on to your kids a few minutes more. Thank you for that. We know this uh, was the first week back to school. How was the first week of school, kids? Exactly what I thought. You're still asleep. It's worn you out. That's good. Yeah, I know. Hey, good deal. Hey, this morning before we uh, begin the message, we want to just take a minute and we want to bless uh, all, of our, all of our kids, all of our teachers, educators, administrators, anyone at all that, is, that serves a school uh, in, any, in any capacity. Maybe you're a room mom. I don't know. Uh, we just want to make sure that we take a minute before we begin and ask God's blessing over this school year. I don't know if you're like our family, but what... Alicia and I have realized uh, in having kids and then raising children is that through school, uh, through their sports, through dance, through all these activities and opportunities, we've been, able, we've been gifted, it feels like, by God to have such an opportunity uh, to meet and interact with so many people who either don't know God or don't have a faith family uh, or don't, don't have what we have here at Riverside. And it's become such an incredible opportunity to, to get to know people outside of our circles and to love on them and to encourage them. Even the night before school started, we gathered in, in one of the kids' rooms and we sat on the bed and we're praying the night before school. And we're just, we're just saying, okay, what are you nervous about? What are you excited about? Uh, and then we said, remember last year we moved here in the middle of the school year and you were the new kid? You remember how nerve-wracking that was and scary that was? And all their heads were like this, you know? <sighs> Guess what? Somebody, this is gonna, this is gonna be them tomorrow on the first day of school. It's gonna be their very first time. Or for other kids, it's gonna be their first time in this grade or with this teacher or in your class. And we talked about what would it be like for you, for you to, to be kind to them and to be nice to them and to encourage them and to sit with them. And and then after all that, we said, you know, you know why that's so important, don't you? And they're all guessing the wrong answers, except for Emma, who's our five-year-old, who's a rising theologian. And she's like, because of God. And we're like, that's exactly right. We want to love them. We want to love your friends. We want to love your new classmates, your teachers, the way God loves them. And that's, that's what we do at baseball. That's what we do at dance. That's what we do at school. It's an opportunity for us to love people the way God loves people. And the school year, it may be the most evangelistic thing you can do to be present and to love people. Some people who haven't smiled in a week or having a really hard time or who, who don't have what you have here at Riverside every week to, to just love on them and to invest in them and to encourage them. And maybe one day there'll be a chance to invite them. Maybe not. It's just about loving people the way God loves people. So if you, if you are a student in any way going back to school, maybe through college, maybe high school, middle school, elementary, preschool, if you're a child or a, a student going back to school, would you just stand up real quickly? Let me have all the the students in the room stand up of whatever, whatever age you are. There we go. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Love it. Love it. If you are a teacher, an educator uh, in any way, in any school, would you stand up, please? That's awesome. Love it. A lot of teachers in the room. Incredible. If you're an administrator, if you serve the school in that way, would you stand up? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. If, you, if you're a parent volunteer, a room mom, if you run up the, the dad's club at your school, whatever way, would you stand up? Would you just stand up and, and show that you're serving in that way? Awesome. Awesome. All right. These people, and there may be others I missed and I apologize if I did, but these people are all going into our schools this week and it'll come tomorrow again when that alarm clock sounds bright and early. Uh, what I want us to do just for a quick moment is just to say a prayer of blessing and favor over them. So church, would you rise and would you place a hand on someone around you who's standing now and let's pray together. Let's pray. God, we realize that you have called us as people of faith, 
to not be of this world, we're, we're not. Uh, we're different. Uh, we have a different home and our heart is in a different place. But God, we are in this world. And while in this world you have called us to be a light to this world for the benefit of your church and the glory of your name. And so God, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray a prayer of blessing and favor over our students going back to school tomorrow, that you would give them courage and faith to live like they believe you are exactly who you say you are, to live like their hope and their trust is in you and you alone. And when hard times come, when difficult decisions face them, give them the courage to stand for what they believe in. And when there are those around them who need encouragement and help and hope, may they be that voice from you for them to encourage them. And God, we pray for our teachers and our administrators. We pray for our our parent volunteers, for all these adults serving our children in numerous and various ways. God, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would bless them and let your favor be upon them, that they could love and that they could lead in a way that would honor our Savior, Jesus, and that they would be a light to the children, but also to other parents in our community to be a light for Jesus in this place, to invest in people in this community, to to share with them the good news that there is a Savior and that we are deeply and dearly loved by our Heavenly Father. And may we love people, God, the way you love people, because that is who you have called us to be. And that, above all, is what you've called us to do. And so, God, we just pray again in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, your blessing and your favor over all these people and their families, over us as a church, that we could love people here in this community the way you first loved us in incredible self-sacrificing ways. And God, do through this school year immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. If you are a child up through first grade, you're dismissed at this time to wow worship, which is this direction. And parents, you can take your kids that way. Fantastic. All right. Well, as they are, as they are exiting the room, I'll just ask the rest of you, uh, have you enjoyed this series this summer on the kingdom of heaven and what it's going to be like? I, I, I really have. We, we, yeah, we, we are a clapping church today. That's awesome. <laughs> we absolutely. I, I personally, I have, and I don't know if, if you if you know this or if you get this, but you know, whenever whenever I'm leaning into a study or leaning into a series, it's not because I know everything there is to know about it. In fact, more times often than not, in fact, every time, I, I realize how little I do know about it until I get into it. And and even with this today, there's there's uh, there's not the authority on this subject, but it's just been so encouraging to lean into the words of Jesus, to learn from Jesus what He said about what life in the kingdom is going to be like. And it's such an exciting thing. And today, we're going to land the plane. So this has been a long series. Summer's, summer's kind of been, been long this year for whatever reason. Although, thankfully, it's been cooler the last couple of weeks. Amen and amen. Yeah. Uh, but um, we're going to land the plane today. And we're actually going to talk about the one thing that we haven't talked about. And we're going to cram it all into to one message. So buckle your seatbelts and hang on tight. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to talk about what... What does heaven, like future heaven, actually look like? Like, what's it going to be like? What, what's that all about? And, and, and what I want to do today 
And by the way, if you're, if you're a guest here, we have first-time visitors every week. We're glad you're here. Today's message is not what I normally do. We're, we're going we're gonna to take a whole different approach today. And so I want to pray and ask you to give me grace and patience. And if for whatever reason you don't like today, come back next week. It'll be much better because DJ's preaching. Uh, but uh, <laughs> seriously. Um, so uh, give me some grace today. But today what we want to do is we want to kind of step back and look through the whole story and lens of Scripture And try to maybe just catch a glimpse of a different perspective on what is true about heaven from God's perspective. And so that's what I want to try to do. So I want to start with this. Uh, Just a simple question. What do you think about? What do you think about when you think about heaven? What do you think about when you think about heaven? I don't know if you're anything like me, but growing up in most of my life, this is generally what I thought about heaven. You know, I've always thought that heaven is a place that I'm going to go to when I, when I die. And, and when I die, one day I'm going to go and be with Jesus, and I'm going to go, and there's going to be this, this incredible, you know, judgment. And my hope against hope is that I will have done enough good things in my life that I can get into heaven. Because, you know, when I die, what's going to happen, at least the way I've always thought about it, is I'm going to, there's going to be like, have you thought, thought about it this way? There's going to be like a really long line, and I'm going to be in it. And then I'm going to come up to God, who is the judge, and he's going to be seated on the throne. And for whatever reason, I don't know where I got this from, but I have this image in my mind that there's going to be like this video playback reel of my life, like a highlight reel or maybe a low light reel. And, um, and they're going to play it, and you're going to see it, and God's going to see it, and everyone who's sitting in line behind me is going to see it. And it's going to show all of the highlights of my life. It'll show the day I was born. And everybody would be like, oh, and then it'll show, you know, those, um, the day I was baptized and I got my ticket into heaven and I'll wave that in front of God to make sure he sees it. And then there'll be my awkward middle school years and, and the first girl I had a crush on. And then there'll be the time that I wrecked a motorcycle, which is a story for another time. Uh, there'll be the day that I first laid eyes on the woman that would become my wife. And, and, and through all of that, you'll get to see all the highlights of my life. And hopefully what you'll get to see in the highlight reel is all the good things I've done over the course of my time on earth. And then they'll show the low light reel, right? And this is where, this is where, I mean, you'll see all the lies I've told. You'll, all my deepest, darkest secrets will be revealed. All the sins I've committed will be, will be shown on the, on the big video screen, like the Jumbotron at AT&T Stadium. And everyone there present in line behind me and God, the judge before me, will see all the mistakes I've made. And then after that embarrassing and incredibly moment of suffering is over, you know, what I'm hoping against hope against hope is that the the good in my life that I've done, all the good things that were shown before, somehow, by the grace of God, would outweigh all the sin and all the bad things in my life. And at that moment, I'll stand before God, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping to hear him say the words, what? Well done, that good and faithful servant, Right? And if he says that, then I get to go to the pearly gates and get walk on the streets of gold, and I get to go to my mansion over a hilltop, and, and you can come over and we'll barbecue. And, uh, and then I'll sit on the clouds with the angels, and we'll, we'll sing songs, worship songs for all eternity, and it will be awesome. Or he'll say these words, depart from me, for I never knew you. And at that moment, what would happen is I would go to hell. Now, hell is a bad place. You know this. Hell is a place of eternal torture, of eternal fire. It'll be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth and it's separation from God. And it's all these things. And I really, 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 really don't want to go there. So I'm hoping against hope against hope that somehow the good in my life has outweighed the bad in my life so that when I die and I stand before God, who is the judge, that he will let me 
go in to heaven by his grace and his mercy. So I've got all this kind of going on. And then I've also kind of heard and been taught, and I don't know where I got this from school, from teachers, from church, from parents, I don't know, but there's also somewhere in there this idea of this, this waiting place. And so when I die, like before all that happens, there, there may be this place that I go to, Hades, torment, paradise, I don't really know. It's kind of confusing where my spirit is, and, and that's going to be the place that my spirit goes before my spirit finally goes to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. And I get to escape this world and leave all the troubles and the hardships and the suffering behind and spend all of eternity on the clouds, hopefully with Jesus. It's all really, really confusing. I don't know, does any of that resonate with maybe something that you've thought about when you think about heaven? I, I, think, I think the problem is, is that for us, what we've done is we've thought about heaven like we think about a trip to Florida. Like, you know, we're, we're planning our trip to go there and we can't wait because we know the weather's going to be nice and we know it's going to be amazing and we can't just, we just can't wait to finally escape and get away from this world and get to that world where we can be with Jesus forever and ever. We think about planning our trip to heaven like we plan a trip to Florida. So we make sure we, we do all the things in our checklist and we get our ticket and we've got it all planned out and we've got it all mapped out and we know that we're right about it. And so that when the day comes, we know that we're going to get to go and be there. And we think about heaven like we think about a trip. Did you hear this story? Um, just a few months ago in April, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. It's, it's too good to make up. I couldn't have thought about it. Uh, there's this couple who live in England named Rochella and Ben. Here's their picture. And uh, Ben was about to turn 30 years old back in April. So Rochella was planning a trip, was planning a trip for them to go to Las Vegas to celebrate his 30th birthday. And so they live in England. She's been saving her money for months and months and months. And she finally goes onto this website called lastminute.com to book their plane tickets. So she goes onto the website. She clicks the drop-down menu. She, she selects her to and from airports. And uh, she selects the dates. And she pays for the trip some 12,000 euros for this trip, right? And so it's like $13,500 plus dollars, American dollars, to, to, to take this trip. But she loves Ben. She wants to plan this trip for Ben for his birthday. It's really special. Finally, the day comes. They drive to the airport there in Birmingham, England, and they, they go in and they're looking around and they can't find their gate. Like they've got their tickets, but they can't find their gate anywhere. So they walk over, they're trying to find the right desk to go to, but they can't find even the right place to talk to the right person about their tickets and about how to get to where they need to go. And the time is approaching for their departure. And so they're, they're starting to get worried and starting to flip out a little bit. So finally, Rochella takes out her phone and she calls American Airlines. And she says, hey, what's, I don't know where to go. I know it's almost time to take off. How do I get to where I need to go? And they said, tell us your name. Tell us your confirmation. And that's when Rochella learned the devastating truth that when she went on the website to lastminute.com, she booked her plane tickets, not from Birmingham, England, but from Birmingham, Alabama to Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, it was crushing news that she booked her plane tickets from the wrong departure city. And there was nothing they could do to make it right. And they completely missed their trip and lost their money because she booked her tickets from the wrong destination. I wonder how many of us, in the way we've read scripture, the way we've grown up, the way culture has presented to us ideas about heaven and hell and life after death and eternity and all of this, I wonder how many of us, when we've clicked the drop-down menu on our eternity, if we haven't somehow mixed up our travel plans when it comes to what happens when this life is over. And what I, what I want to do today is, is I want to try to back up and, and show you, and all we're going to have time to do is just take a real quick sketch. So bear with me. There's, there's way more we could lean into, but for one message, we're going to take a quick glance at what might be true 
Because I know this about you. I know that you want your vision for your life and God's vision for your life to line up. I believe that's true of everyone in the room. That you want your vision for your life and you want God's vision for your life to line up. And the reason that this matters is because your vision of heaven and your picture of heaven directly affects your trajectory and your direction. And what I want to suggest this morning that maybe, just maybe, we've spent too much time planning our lives in the wrong direction. And God has a different direction in mind for us. So, if we back all the way up to the very beginning, you guys know the story in Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, the story of God's original and good creation. This is where God comes on the scene and we read the story of God creating everything, the world and everything in it. And he looked at it and he saw that it was good and he created man and woman and and everything is perfect. Everything is, I mean, everything is perfect. I don't know if you've ever thought about how perfect everything was, but before sin ever entered the picture, God's creation was good and it was perfect. There were no tornadoes and floods. No one ever got sick. There was no cancer or disease. Everything was perfect. Man and woman got along perfectly in unity and harmony with each other. There was, there was no division, no separation, no racism, nothing between people and people. And the, and the relationship between people and God was perfect too. Genesis 3 gives us this idea that, that God came and he, he, he descended and he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the eve. So you have this picture from the very first moment of Scripture of God descending into his good and perfect creation creation where everything was the way it was supposed to be, everything was good, and everything was perfect. And relationships between people and people were good, and relationships between people and God were just the way they were supposed to be until, until what happened? Sin happened. Now, this is where I don't think you and I have ever given sin enough credit. In fact, I think if I'm being honest with myself and with you that that we have probably for far too long underestimated the power and the devastation of sin at the fall. Because think about it, after, after sin enters the story, what happens? Everything is broken. And I mean everything. After sin, this is when we have things like tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and tsunamis and all that. After sin, that's when we have sickness and disease and death and we have cancer and all these other things afflicting our our physical bodies. After sin, that's when we have division and separation between people and people. We have things like, like hate and harm and racism and all these things that enter into the story. After sin, that's when the relationship between God and man is broken and God no longer walks on the planet with his people. It was after sin that everything broke. Sometimes we think that all that broke was just our relationship with God, but that was only part of the story. Maybe only one-fourth of the story. Maybe only one-one-hundredth of the story. What happened when sin entered the picture is that everything broke. But the story began with God creating the world the way it was supposed to be and with God descending to walk the planet with his people in perfect relationship. But then sin comes into the picture and there's a problem. But... As you and I know, God had a plan. And boy, was it a plan. Because some years later, what God is going to do to fix this problem is he's going to send Jesus. 
and Jesus descends. I love the way John says it in John 1.14, that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Like literally, Jesus, God the Son, comes from heaven to earth, and, he, and, and, and the words there, dwelled among us, it literally means he pitched his tent. He set up his camp in the neighborhood. He moved into the community. He's a part of life. The, the author of the story wrote himself into the story, and now he's walking the planet again. God in the flesh has descended once again in Jesus, in Jesus. And Jesus begins through his, his 30 plus year life and career to make right, to set right everything that's gone wrong. I mean, we've talked about this before, but just think about the life and ministry of Jesus and what he did. I mean, he began to walk around and perform miracles. And what were those miracles? Those miracles were making people who were sick well. So you're blind, he's going to restore your sight. So you can't walk, he's going to give back your legs. So you're, 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 whatever the problem is, whatever your sickness, whatever your illness, you have leprosy, he's going to cleanse it. Why does he do that? Because he is setting right what went wrong. He is restoring that person, those people, back to the way they were always intended to be, the way they were supposed to be, the way they, were, they, they ought to be. He's restoring what went wrong, and he's making right what went bad. Not only that, he does these things like he calms the storm. Well, why would he do that? Because creation is broken, and he's shown that he has all authority to even set all of creation right, to make everything the way it was supposed to be. And so he calms the storm, and nature listens, and nature responds, and nature, nature reverts back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden when there were, when there were, no, there were no storms. And everything is still, and everything is peaceful. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. The Hebrews had a word for this. They called it shalom, peace. Peace wasn't the absence of crisis or conflict. Peace was a restoration of the things the way they were always supposed to be. But not only that, because you and I know the best part of the story is that Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus went, and the story took a tragic turn if you're just reading it for the first time. But you know how it ends, and I know how it ends, because Jesus, his next stop is a cross. And on the cross, Jesus goes to make right what went wrong with sin when it broke the relationship between people and people and people and God. And here's the most amazing thing is that God's plan all along was to restore our relationships with each other so that they would be perfect. Can you imagine a world where you and I get along perfectly? I know, it's crazy. But wouldn't it be amazing? That's the way it was before sin came into the picture. And can you imagine where you have a perfect relationship with God, your Father, where there was no conflict or stress or worry or concern, you just knew you were in perfect relationship with your Heavenly Father, with God Almighty. And so Jesus goes to the cross, and he dies on the cross. And what's amazing, Matthew 27 says this, is that in the moment Jesus died on the cross, something physical and tangible happened in the temple. I don't know what you know about the temple. We'll talk about it more later. But in the temple, there was a, a huge curtain that hung down the, 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 the center of it that separated the presence of God from the people of God. And behind this curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And it's, it's literally where the, the presence, the dwelling of God was. And right outside that curtain is where priests could come up to and intercede for the people of God. And here's what's amazing is when Jesus died on the cross, I think this is the coolest story ever, that curtain, which was huge and thick and tall and long and enormous, you can read about it later, but that curtain was torn in two. And it wasn't torn in two from like top to bottom, like somebody took scissors and began to tear it. That curtain was torn in two from, from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. I said that backwards, sorry. God 
God literally, the hand of God, tore down the curtain that separated the people of God from the presence of God the moment Jesus died on the cross because he's working not just to make nature right, not just to make our physical bodies right. He's working to make relationships right between us and between him, between each other. That is what God is doing on the cross. And it was absolutely unbelievable. But you know, and I know, that's not where the story ends. Because Jesus didn't just die on the cross. What happened after that? Well, we read this here. So Christ died. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. And he was buried, and then he was raised from the dead. And on the third day, just as the scripture said, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive when this was written. Can you believe that? Jesus not only died, but he was buried, and then he was raised again back to life. Like his physical body. Now, this is important for us later, so, so catch this now. Uh, what, what the writer, what Paul says here, is not that, that God raised the spirit of Jesus. It's not, not that God resurrected some, some spiritual being. His body was raised from the grave, and he was seen by people. He walked the planet for some 40 days, and he was seen by, my, by more than 500 people because his physical body was resurrected from the grave. And so the story that begins with God descending, with God setting up the world the way it was always supposed to be in his good creation— where people enjoyed creation as it was supposed to be, with people enjoying health as it was supposed to be, with people enjoying relationships with people the way it was supposed to be, and enjoying relationships with God the way, the way it was supposed to be, then turns and Jesus ascends. And Jesus begins to set right everything that had gone wrong. And so in Jesus, creation is being redeemed and restored. In Jesus, people and their physical bodies are being redeemed and restored. And in Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, relationship, between people and people, and people and God was being restored. But that's not the end of the story either. Because here's what happens next. And I want you to hear what happens next. This is really important. Luke tells us in Acts 1 that Jesus, after those 40 days, after being seen by more than 500 people, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while the disciples were watching, and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven and, and listen to this line, the same way you saw him go. So these two robed men, these two men robed in white robes, uh, these two angels, they, they tell the disciples, what are you looking for? Jesus, whom you just saw his physical body ascend to heaven, is one day going to return in that same physical transformed body. He's going to return the same way you saw him go. So God descends. Then sin comes into the picture, so Jesus descends. And then Jesus ascends back to heaven, but God's not done yet because what happens next, as we find in the story of Scripture, is that the Spirit descends. Now the Spirit of God is going to descend. Jesus has risen and gone back to heaven, and now the Spirit of God is going to descend on his people. And Jesus anticipated this. In John 16, 13, Jesus told his disciples, he said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So Jesus is looking forward to the day when the Spirit of God is going to come upon the people of God. 
And the first time that happens, this is another, another one of the coolest stories. One day we should just do a series on the coolest stories in the Bible. This will make the list. In Acts 2, this happens. The first time we read about the Spirit of God coming upon the people of God, it says on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, it's cool, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being one of the first believers in the room that day when you're, you're wondering and you're waiting and you don't know what's going to happen next? Jesus, the man you followed, is gone. Literally, you saw him rise and ascend to heaven and you're waiting and you're waiting. And then all of a sudden, something phenomenal, supernatural happens. His spirit literally comes upon you in power. But this wasn't a story just for the first believers. This is a story for all believers. Because we believe and we know from Scripture that the spirit still descends into our lives, into our hearts. Romans 5, Paul said this. He said, we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. God has given us who believe in him, his Holy Spirit. He says it again in 2 Corinthians. He says, it's God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything that he has promised. So the Spirit descends and the Spirit comes into your life and into my life as believers. And this is important. This is, this is critically important. This is why it's important. Because this affects our baptism. And your baptism matters. Your baptism matters because if you are raised with Christ now and you receive his Spirit now, then you will be raised with Christ when he comes. Did you hear me? Your baptism matters. I know a lot of you in the room, you've, you, you, you've done this. You've entered into this moment. You've entered into these waters. And you've, you've stepped into it in, in faith and humility and believing God is who he says he is. And it matters because if you enter into the waters of baptism and you receive the spirit of God and you're raised to new life with him now, when you're raised to new life with him now, you will be raised to new life with him then. Listen again to what Paul says about the importance of your baptism in Colossians 2. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life. Now, this is important. He doesn't say that, that one day you'll be raised to new life. No, right now. Like right now when this happens. Like if someone in the room today, you want to be baptized, when you come up out of the water, right now you are already being raised to new life. Because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. The same power that raises Christ from the dead raises you up from the water and you get to enjoy the new life, the kingdom life that Christ offers already, right now, in this very present here and now moment. Again, Romans 6, maybe, maybe my all-time favorite. Have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism? We joined with him in his death for, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we live new lives. We get to live brand new lives because of what happens in our baptism. And if you're buried with Jesus now and you're raised to new life now, then when Christ returns, you'll be raised to new life then. And this is important because we, we are going to get to experience the same kind of resurrection power in our life that Jesus experienced the day he rose. And if you don't believe me, I, I want to ask you, I'm going to invite you to keep leaning in. 
Your baptism matters because one day you're going to experience resurrection. Listen to what John, maybe one of Jesus' closest friends, said about, said about this in 1 John 3. He said, dear friends, we're already God's children. This, this is already now stuff. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know this. We know this, that we will be like him. The same way Jesus rose up from the grave when, when God raised him from the, the dead on the third day, we're going to be raised to that same kind of bodily resurrection, new life. This isn't about your spirit going somewhere. This is about your body being resurrected and transformed by God the same way Jesus was. He said it again in Romans, and we read this earlier, I think it's a part of our communion. Romans 8, the Spirit of God, I love this, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Right now, it's already happening if you believe in in Jesus. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, this is very literal, so read it that way. As, As he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your what? Your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living with you. The same thing is going to happen for you. Your resurrection. We're talking about your resurrection day. The day that God will raise you up from the grave and and you'll be transformed for sure, but it's going to be a body for sure. And you're going to be raised again just like Jesus was. And again, he says in 1 Corinthians, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Death came through Adam, resurrection through Jesus. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. All right, let's just back up and recap real quick. Are you getting this? God creates the world, and it's perfect, and it's awesome, and it's good. Everything is the way it's supposed to be. And then something goes horribly wrong, and sin breaks the whole picture. So Jesus descends. You see, there's this downward motion coming over and over again. Jesus descends, and he comes to make things right. He comes to make all creation right. He comes to make our physical bodies right, to come to redeem and restore them. He comes to make relationships right, relationships between people and people and between people and God. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and he comes into our lives. Those of us who believe in Jesus, those who experience baptism, those who, who want to be raised with life now so we can be raised to life with Christ then. And the reason we have the Spirit is so that we can participate in the life and ministry of Jesus. You know that, right? That, that if we carry the Spirit of Jesus, then, the, then what we're doing in this moment is we're carrying forward the mission and vision of Jesus, which is to make all creation right again. That's why we, especially we here at Riverside, we respond when there's like a natural catastrophe or tragedy or problem. We respond. We go out into the world. We go out into our communities to, 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 to chainsaw dead trees and to drag limbs to places and, and to, 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 to reclaim, you know, whatever's gone bad and gone wrong because we're going to seek to make creation right again. This is why we go visit the hospital and, and we go minister to those who are sick or who are suffering. is because we're trying to restore. The Spirit of God in us is trying to restore, trying to, to restore people and their worth and their physical bodies and what's gone wrong to make it right. This is why we as the church, the spirit of God in us is trying to make things right between each other. We're all about reconciliation. And if you have anything between you and another another brother or sister in this room or anywhere, it's your responsibility as a a believer, as a spirit-caring person of Jesus Christ to make that right to the best of your God-given ability. And then not only that, but to make things right between people and God, this is what we do. Because we're carrying forward the mission and vision of Jesus and the mission and vision of God to make things the way they're supposed to be. And all of this matters. All of this matters. 
All of this matters. Because the end of the story is not just the end of the story. So if you flip in your Bible to the very end in Revelation, what you find, what you find is not an ending. What you find is a new beginning. Because what John says in Revelation 21, he says this. He says, I saw, John sees a vision of heaven. And what he sees at the very end is a new beginning. He says, what I saw is a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with him. Its gates will never be closed at at the end of day because there is no night there. What we have at the end is a new beginning. And what do we have? We have a new heaven and a new earth descending. And we have God coming down once again to dwell with his people. And what I want to suggest this morning is that maybe, just maybe, if we take our cue from God our Father, from Jesus our Messiah, from the spirit that's inside of us, that what we'll see is that the whole trajectory And the whole story has always been in a downward motion towards us. To redeem and to restore and to make things again the way they were supposed to be. To make things new. To make things right. To bring shalom, peace, perfect peace back to the world. And for you and I to enjoy in our new resurrected bodies a new heaven and a new earth. It's almost like going back to the, to the Garden of Eden, but this is a new city. This is a new heaven. This is a new earth where we get to enjoy God's perfect and good creation, where we get to walk with God on the planet. And it's a beautiful picture of making everything the way it's supposed to be. Now, why does this matter? Let me say this quickly and we'll be done. This matters because this changes the direction and the trajectory of our lives. Instead of us planning our entire lives as if we're taking a trip toward heaven, what if we join God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in their mission to bring heaven to earth? You get that? When I first moved here, people would ask me, hey, where are you from? They asked me that because I don't talk like some of you talk. I don't have the same Texas accent that a lot of you have. And what they're asking is, well, I, don't, I know you're from somewhere, but it's not around here, so where are you from? Uh, born in Georgia, raised in Alabama, lived in Atlanta, lived in Tennessee. Oh, okay, we got it. We know where you're from now. Okay, we got it. You're not from around here. That's okay. We'll get you some boots soon enough, right? Hey, what if we lived? What if we lived as if we were from heaven and not planning a trip to heaven? Paul said this, and let's just end with this last scripture. If you can flip to it in Philippians 3. He said, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. And he will take our weak mortal bodies, and and, and we've talked about this, and he will change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything, and I mean everything, under his control. What if we change the the trajectory and the direction of our lives? And instead of working our entire life to do enough good deeds to get to heaven, what if we spend all of our days trying to join Jesus in bringing heaven to earth? Man, maybe we live as citizens of heaven. 
And people look, look at us and say, hey, hey, where are you from? You're not from around here. And you'll be like, that's right, I'm not. I'm a citizen of heaven. Yeah, I get it. You live in Texas, the greatest state in the world. You live in America, the greatest country in the world. But you're not an American Christian. You're a Christian who happens to live in America. This, this is your primary identity. You and me, the sons and daughters of God, the children of God, we are citizens of heaven. This is where we are from. And what we are working towards is to join the mission and vision of God to bring heaven to earth, to make right what's gone wrong, to heal the broken, to help the wounded, to love those who are unloved, to bring justice to those who have been marginalized, to join in on the life and the ministry and the passion of Jesus Christ to love people the way that he loves people and to answer his one and only prayer he ever taught his disciples, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where on earth? Because one day, one day, Christ will return. And if you have a vision of heaven that's pearly gates and streets of gold and sitting on clouds and singing glorious songs, that's all fine and dandy, but that is too small a vision. Because what God is working to do is to redeem the world and to bring about a new heaven and a new earth where we will live forever and ever the way it was always supposed to be in a perfect and good and new creation, in perfect relationship with each other, and in perfect communion with God. Church, if you would stand with me. If for whatever reason you haven't stepped into this spirit-filled, baptismal life, resurrection life that we're talking about today, for whatever reason, you've never experienced what it, what it is or what it means to know Jesus the way we're talking about it. If, if for far too long you've been planning a trip toward heaven instead of spending all your days trying to participate and join the mission and vision of God and bringing heaven to earth, and today, man, we'd love to pray with you. And so we've got elders and their wives around the room, and, and they would love nothing more. If you just want to have a conversation, if you have questions, or if you want prayers and say, I need, to, I need to change the direction of my entire life, man, just make your way to the edges and we'll pray with you during this time. But as we sing and as we leave today, what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to go forward as living as citizens who are from heaven. May we go forward as a church, as a people who are citizens of heaven.